Uh, Heavenly Father, help us to appreciate the message you have for us today, to embrace it and to seek to believe it and live by it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I suspect half of you will be able to, but do you remember this TV commercial from the 1970s? The commercial opens. Memories, the singer says, like the corners of my mind. Progresses as scenes from Greece are depicted, depicted the Acropolis, uh, a rural village, traditional family celebrations, Memories, the song continues. And then we see a young Greek family uh, walking, looking somewhat lost up the stairs of a plane and looking back over their shoulder. And there is a woman's voice, obviously a, a Greek lady speaking, and she recalls, What remains vivid in my memory is my husband struggling with a bunch of suitcases, my little child in my hands, and all of us being pushed up the stairway. I remember always looking back, seeing my mother and father crying and blowing in their noses with their handkerchiefs. And there's a voiceover. When you're thinking of home, go home on the telephone. Another scene. House in Greece, obviously many years later, the mother and father who'd been farewelling their daughter at the airport are now a lot older. The phone rings and the call comes through from the daughter in Australia. As the mother and the father are half a world away speak to their daughter down under, there are tears, there are smiles, there's laughter. The phone has passed around, I think, three generations of family as they are united uh, across the world, uh, enjoying one another's company on the phone. The ad was deliberately designed to tug up the heartstrings and as I watched the YouTube version of it during the week, I almost teared up just watching it. Um, I recall that these ads, which were encouraging calling overseas were very successful and I think for obvious reasons a lot of people did call overseas I believe as a result or as I recall. And one thing the ad shows are the importance of relationships and the importance of communication in relationships even by telephone across the world. Communication as I'm sure you and I would know is very important in relationships between people. Uh, At this church when a couple is being prepared for marriage One of the things we encourage them to do is a thing called the prepare course. It's a very good little course and one of the key things the prepare course looks at is communication between a couple. Good communication can be just so helpful and good communication can also be extremely powerful. In the right context, consider the power of the words I love you or I will. Very powerful. And all of this makes it so problematic uh, when bad communication takes place. Uh, Communication can sometimes be very destructive. You are such an idiot. You waste of space. Why do you even bother living on the face of this earth? You know, can be incredibly cutting. You know, communication can sometimes be incredibly misguided and unhelpful. You may have heard the phrase, keep them mean, treat them mean, keep them keen. What a load of rubbish that philosophy is if you've ever heard it. And um, sometimes, sadly, communication is non-existent. Uh, You may be in a restaurant, you see a couple dining together, they have nothing to say to each other throughout the course of the meal. You wonder when they get home whether they'll have anything to say to each other then. Couples can be physically present, but I guess uh, relationally worlds apart. Now, uh, prayer is, of course, communication with God. 
We communicate with God. He speaks to us through his word. We communicate with him through prayer. And prayer, like all forms of communication, whatever sort they are, can be a real joy. They can be a real challenge. See, prayer can be a real joy for the Christian because we have the capacity to speak to the creator and sustainer of the universe, the God whose son died in our place on the cross. And this God wants to hear from us and we can speak to him anywhere, anytime. What a privilege. But prayer to God can also often be a challenge. Uh, The fact that we can't physically see God when we speak to him, that we can't get an immediate audible response to the things we might be saying. Combined with all the usual world, the flesh and the devil disincentives to Christian living, which we experience constantly both inside ourselves and from our environment around us. And as a result, I think most of us, our experience of prayer can range from the absolutely majestic right down to perhaps the mundane and occasionally the non-existent. Now, in the same way that any human relationship is very much, or the health of it is very much impacted by the communication, so too the health of our relationship with God is very much impacted by uh, our um, communication with him. Uh, And so this week we're looking at prayer, next week we're looking at um, God's word and the importance of that. Now, uh, there was a Church of England bishop last century called Michael Bourne who apparently once said as follows. He said, after 37 years of ministry, so there's a bit of a track record there, after 37 years of ministry, he once said that 90% of the problems he encountered in people's spiritual lives were because they'd stopped reading the Bible and praying each day. That's interesting. That was his experience. That 90% of the problems... um, were a result of that. And that's just one man's opinion, but it's probably worth listening to. So, if someone here, if you're a new Christian, we have the privilege and the important task of regularly communicating with God through prayer. And if we're a long-time Christian, I guess the question for you to consider this morning is, how is it going? Is the communication in a healthy state or is it perhaps needing a bit of a uh, refresher? So this morning we're continuing our five-week series entitled The Life of Faith. It's really um, sort of a Christianity 101 course over five weeks. Remember two weeks ago we looked at salvation by grace. Then last week we looked at offering ourselves, all of ourselves to God. This week it's prayer. Next week it's the the word of God and week five, excitement awaits. Today's topic is living in prayer. We're mainly using the Luke 11 passage but we're also going to refer to the Revelation 5 passage. An outline of the main points are on the screen behind me and are set out in more detail on the insert. We're going to think about firstly when to pray, what to pray, how to pray and why we pray. So let me start with point one, when to pray. Chapter 11, verse 1 of Luke. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. The first thing to notice here is that Jesus himself is praying. He's about to give us some teaching on prayer but he also prays himself. He practices what he preaches. He doesn't just talk the prayer talk, he walks the prayer walk. He actually does what he says. And the question which is then prompted by his disciples is a good one. Teach us to pray. It's good to know how God wants us to pray. Now I think that if you've got a good question, it's always a good idea to ask it of an expert. If you're a golfer, which I know some of you are, and you're wanting to improve your golf swing, you'll usually go to an expert, perhaps the pro at the local club, who can sort of give you the tips which you really want. Similarly, if you want to think about prayer, who could be more of a prayer expert than Jesus? I mean, who else, Who better to go to? So, 
The question is put to Jesus and in verse 2 he starts his response. When you pray. We'll just stop there. Did you notice that he doesn't start with if you pray, he starts with when you pray. You see, the assumption here is that Jesus' followers will pray. If we're Christians, we eat, we breathe, we sleep, we pray, it's just part of what we do. Not to pray would be to dramatically damage our health. So, we're to pray, but what? Point two, what should we pray? Now, there's an awful lot of helpful stuff in the Bible about this topic, uh, teaching on what to pray, examples of people praying. We're just going to get a few reflections from Luke 11 and Revelation 5. But in Luke 11, uh, the prayer starts as follows. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. That's how it opens. So you'll notice here that immediately it starts with praying with, for God's concerns, praying for God's glory. Now, if you're like me, the sorts of things you'll instinctively think of to pray for first are things to do with yourself or things to do with your nearest and dearest. Now, they're good to pray for and we're encouraged to pray for them, but note, interestingly, that the prayer starts with concerns uh, for God's glory and for God's kingdom. Praying uh, that, that hallowed be your name means that may your name, God, be honoured, may it be glorified, may it be held in high regard, may it get the credit it deserves. Now, if you're like me, you like seeing people get the credit that they deserve, particularly if you think you deserve the credit or one of your kids does. You know, you're at work, you've done something at work, someone else gets the credit. You think, hold on, I did that, that was my work, I should be getting the credit, not them. Now, look, no, no, maybe it's just me who thinks that way, but, you know, we, we, we want credit where credit's due. Or our kids. So, say, you know, you, you, your daughter comes home from school and you discover that little Jessica, one of her classmates, has won the teacher's pet award for the week or whatever it is. And you think, what's Jessica getting it for? Charlotte should have got that award, you know. She should get the credit she deserves. You know, we like credit being given where credit's due. Well, the Bible teaches that everything good in this world, the, the creation, uh, relationships, everything which human minds can create, which is good, you know, art, sport, books, crafts, whatever, everything ultimately goes back to God because all good things come from God. Does God get the credit, the glory, the honour that is due to him for everything good in this world? We want to pray that that would be the case. Not just that we would recognise and honour God for those good things, but that other people, in fact increasing numbers of others, would as well. We pray for God's honour, credit where credit's due. We're then asked to pray uh, that God's kingdom would come. Now God's kingdom is his rule. And so how does God's kingdom come? Well, when his rule increases. That can, his rule can increase as more people become Christians, come into the kingdom. His rule increases as people in the kingdom grow in their relationship with God. So it can be a prayer for both evangelism and discipleship, reach and build, to put it in our church's words. But God's kingdom also comes when we think about the return of Christ, when his reign will be fully experienced by all of us, justice will be fully done, sin will be ultimately defeated and we'll, our relationship with God will become so much deeper than it currently is and will be united with other believers um, throughout history. We're praying that God's kingdom would come and for all the things that that entails. So that's how the prayer opens. But then it goes on to pray for our needs and concerns. Now notice that it doesn't just pray for my needs and concerns but our needs and concerns. The prayer then moves on to pray for our communal needs and concerns. Look at verse 3, it says, Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. See, there are three requests here for daily bread, for forgiveness of sins and for spiritual protection and they're all communally expressed. 
It's all, not, it's all us and our, not me and my. Now, I'm not going to go into all those specific requests in detail other than to generally note that we're encouraged here to ask for things. You may have heard Christians sometimes negatively referred to as God-botherers. Have you ever heard that? One of my friends refers to Christians as God-botherers. And the implication of that is that, you know, look, God's got more important things to do than us and our stupid little requests. Stop bothering him and leave him alone and just get on with your secular life. That's sort of the implication. But can I say, we cannot bother God by praying him, praying to him. He asks us to pray to him. It will never be a bother to him. And it's not just that we can pray for um, our, our needs and our forgiveness and our spiritual protection. We can pray for anything the Bible teaches. Philippians 4.6 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. There is nothing that you cannot pray about. So, for example, as I reflect on my life, I've prayed for worldwide revival. I've also prayed for parking spots. Right? I have prayed for the salvation of my family and friends. I've also prayed for games of sport in which I've been participating. Uh, before, many years ago, I had prayed for girlfriends. Now I pray for my wife and kids. Um, you know, we can pray about anything. Now, that doesn't mean that God will give us whatever we ask. God will answer all our requests in the ways that is best for us and others. Thank goodness. <laughs> but we can pray for anything. So how should we pray? Point three. Well, there are many things which could be said here. Could I start by suggesting that we should be both humble and bold as we present our requests to God? Humble because we're speaking to the king of a kingdom, look at verse 2, and bold because we're speaking to our heavenly father, which can give us great confidence. Again, see verse 2. Now, in a similar prayer to this in Matthew chapter, 20, Matthew chapter 6, the prayer starts with our father in heaven. Have you ever reflected on the, how great it is that we can pray to our Father who is in heaven? The fact that he's our Father means that he's pers- personal. The fact that he's in heaven means that he's powerful. Because he's our Father, he cares about us. Because he's in heaven and powerful, he can act. He can actually do stuff which our normal fathers can't do. Having a powerful God who cares for us what better God could we possibly pray to? What a privilege. Humble and bold. And then we're also encouraged in this passage to pray persistently. Now, elsewhere in the scriptures, um, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, I'm going to teach you a memory verse. Do you want to learn a memory verse this morning? I'm going to give you 1 Thessalonians 5.17. You ready? Pray continually. Got that? That's the entire verse. Pray continually. You've just learned a memory verse. Helpful to know. And then there's a story in the Luke 11 passage, verses 5 to 8, about the man who gets an unexpected guest. He has no food. He bangs on his neighbour's door at midnight saying, please help me out, give me a break. The man persists and eventually the friend gets up and gives him the food and thus he can be hospitable to the new guests. Now, um, probably be helpful to have a bit of cultural background to that story. Uh, The cultural background is that in the ancient Near East of the first century, hospitality was really, really important. So if you have someone visit you, you really have to be able to give them some food, particularly if they've been on a long journey. And so the man who has the visitor really needs to get some food pronto. So he bangs on his neighbour's door in the middle of the night and whereas the neighbour would have had sympathy about the man's predicament who's banging on the door, getting up at midnight was no easy matter. You get a bang on your door at midnight here, just get out of bed, go to the front door, 
what are you doing banging on my door at midnight, you might say. But there, the door would have been locked probably with a big iron bar. On the inside, you get up, you move it away, it makes a lot of noise. You get up out of bed, you and your family are probably all in the same bed. So it's not just you waking up, you're probably waking everyone else up. And often in Middle Eastern houses, the family would sleep upstairs and I think the, the animals would be asleep downstairs. So you've woken your family up, you get up, you wake all the animals up, you move the iron bar, everyone's fully awake, it's really quite a major thing. The point here is, if the reluctant neighbour is prepared to get up as a result of persistent requests, how much more is our loving Heavenly Father uh, going to respond to our persistent prayer requests? So I guess the message here is if we're upset about something, if we're concerned about something, if there's something we need or something we just even like uh, to keep praying, to persist in prayer and we know that God will respond in whatever way is best for our situation. And then finally, point four, why should we pray? Well, if it's not already self-evident, you can mention a few things. The Bible says to. Secondly, Jesus prays and his followers pray. But then, and there's also the fact, though, that we have needs and concerns and we have the capacity to speak to our Heavenly Father, so why on earth wouldn't we pray, given the truth of that situation? Now, we have a Father in Heaven, the Scriptures tell us, and I thought I'd just unpack the in Heaven aspect a little bit more and share something which I've personally found very helpful to reflect on. Now, some of, some of you, I don't know, some of you might remember the first ever sermon I gave at Anglican Church of Springwood. It was on the 6th of January 2013 and when I mentioned the topic, one or two people at 8 o'clock actually sort of started to nod at me so they, they remembered it, which was gratifying. Um, but the first sermon I ever preached here was on Revelations chapters 4 and 5 and it was about the topic of prayer. And what Revelation chapters 4 and 5 do is they describe the place of ultimate power in, in, in the creation. It doesn't describe Parliament House Canberra, that's not the place of ultimate power, it doesn't you know, describe the Kremlin or the White House, what it does is Revelation 4 and 5 describes the throne room in heaven. And it describes the throne room in heaven in very impressive imagery. Uh, there's a throne and God sits on this throne and thunder and lightning comes from the throne. In front of this throne is a sea of glass and around the throne are 24 elders and the four living creatures, all of whom are involved with praising the person on the throne, saying things like, um, holy is the Lord and you are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honour things like that chapter 5 we're still in the throne room of heaven and the question is asked there's this scroll and the question is asked as we heard in the reading who's worthy to open the scroll and obviously we want the scroll opened uh, then it's, we learn that Jesus is the only one worthy to do so so he comes, takes the scroll sits on the throne and then, did you notice Revelation chapter 5, verse 8? In the middle of these incredible events, as things of the utmost importance are taking place, we read in verse 8 as follows. And when he, that's Jesus, had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Now, I find that really quite intriguing that there in the centre of all this action of the utmost significance, our prayers are there. And they aren't just sort of there on the side, they're presented there as being important and valuable. They're described as golden bowls full of incense. The thing I find uh, incredible is that our th prayers, as pathetic as they, mine sometimes are, 
reach the throne room of heaven where they are considered to be of value. What an incredible privilege. What an incentive. And then Luke 11. Back to there. Luke 11. It continues and it tells us and assures us that good things will result from prayer. Luke 11.9 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. It's basically saying that you know, when we pray, things will happen as a result of it. It produces results. And we know that God will respond to our prayers in whatever way is best for us and others. And that will always be a way which is, is for the good of people. Verses 11 to 13 talk about in the same way that earthly fathers want to give their kids good things, how much more so does our heavenly father want to give us good things? We can trust God when we pray to him. So there are repeated urgings in the Bible to pray, but there's also so much anecdotal evidence we could gather as to the efficacy of prayer as well. So in my own life, I could say that I've personally experienced great peace that's come from prayer at various times. In my own life, I can think of ways where God has helped me with things I've prayed for. I think on a much broader scale, um, prayer has always been associated with great movements of God or revivals in recent centuries. Uh, New York in the 1850s, prayer was heavily involved. East Africa in the 1930s and onwards, prayer is heavily involved. Even our own little mini-revival in Australia in 1959 with the Billy Graham crusade, prayer was very much part of that. One American uh, pastor, a Dr A.T. Pearson, uh, a fairly famous gentleman, once said, there's never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. So prayer is potentially very very powerful. Let me conclude. The Christian life, thankfully, can be a praying life. Anywhere, at any time, we can speak to our Heavenly Father. And could I suggest that probably our lives could involve three sorts of prayer. There might be what we might call our regular personal prayer time, perhaps part of a quiet time or devotion that you have each day where you pray to God about various things in some sort of organised way. We have regular communal prayer, like we do at this service and at, at small groups and other places where Christians meet. But then also there's just that regular day-to-day as we go through life prayers. We're driving the car, walking down the street, doing the shopping and we talk to God about whatever happens to be on our minds. Now, we were discuss- discussing at work during the, day, uh, during the week and we're reflecting that often we and others have a little bit of trouble with that first one, uh, the regular time of praying through things with God. So what um, we asked Nick Collier, one of our staff members, to do was to put together just a few guidelines on uh, how we might want to go about organised prayer. And you've got those guidelines inside your weekly notes. Now, uh, we're not saying that you need to use them, but some of you might find them helpful if you want to sort of, I guess, recharge your personal daily prayer time. If you look at it, you can see that there's praise, confession, thanksgiving and requests, that we pray for God's concerns and our concerns, there are some daily concerns and there are some things we might want to pray for perhaps once a week. Now, that's just a guideline. So you might like to do one of two things, put it in your Bible or the other thing you could do is take a picture of it with your phone and it's with you on your phone whenever you need it. I, I don't do exactly what Nick does but I have a similar system at home myself. Um, so there's that there for you should you find that helpful. I guess the question I'd like to ask myself and yourself is how is our prayer life going? Is it going well? Does it need a bit of supercharging? If you think it needs a bit of assistance, could I encourage you to take action? Uh, It's a great privilege that we have. So I opened this service uh, a few minutes ago, or my sermon a few minutes ago, with singing the Memories song. The point of that was it's about commercial. 
uh, which talks about the importance of communication. And of course, our communication with God is hugely important and it's an incredible privilege. And so the big idea this morning as we continue our Life of Faith series is uh, let's live a praying life as Christians. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we can speak to you anywhere at any time, individually and with others, and as undeserving and as incredible as it can seem to us, we know that these prayers are reaching the throne room of heaven. Lord, we do pray that you would help each of us to be in daily communication with you, and we particularly ask this morning that we would live praying lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.